Welcome once again to The Wireless Noodle. This week I want to give a quick update on AWS's reInvent virtual conference, which I spent a lot of time enjoying in December. In particular, I want to focus on a maxim that I believe is a good one to live by in the tech world, and one which AWS has demonstrated its aptitude for. Don't make them come to you, serve them as you find them. Plus, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of contributions I made to the latest edition of IoT Now magazine, one looking at the requirement for diverse connectivity options, and the other based on a quite interesting interview I did with Ross Gray at Sierra Wireless. My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. During December, I tuned into a stack of the content at AWS's reInvent conference, which this year was a virtual event. As you can probably tell from the previous podcasts, I'm very keen to keep a beady eye on AWS and what it's doing, not least because it cuts across so many of the technology areas that I'm interested in, including AI, IoT and Edge. Last week at Transform Insights, we published a report called AWS reInvent showcases a broad portfolio focused on solving industry needs, which gave my views on a myriad of new product launches and developments. If you want to get the full view, I recommend checking out the report, but I thought it was worth giving a high level perspective on the podcast. The announcements reInvent came thick and fast, covering AI hardware, enhancements to its SageMaker AI offering, end-to-end IoT offerings, enhanced edge computing capabilities, and lots more. CEO Andy Jassy filled his keynote to the brim with announcements, and there were more to follow, particularly from Swami Siva Subramanian, the general manager for machine learning services. The overwhelming sense I got from watching the reInvent keynotes was of a company that thinks very carefully about the practical application of technology. As one which more or less stumbled across its profitable cloud business as a byproduct of its main line of business, perhaps that's not too surprising. It doesn't do technology for technology's sake. It does it to achieve a particular goal. IoT, AI, edge computing and connectivity are crashed together in user-friendly services aimed at delivering predictive maintenance or some other similar capability. They obviously live and breathe the maxim, users don't buy technology, they buy solutions. Applied technology is the buzz phrase, or should be. AWS is great at delivering accessible and applied tools, and particularly at brownfield-type solutions, meeting client needs as they exist, rather than hopefully building a perfect solution that may be decades off being suitable for any real-world user. Take a couple of examples of announcements from the show, one around Monitron and the other Panorama. Monitron is a vibration monitoring solution for industrial equipment that's designed to be slapped on the side of an existing piece of kit, and then will monitor it for abnormal behaviour. It's nothing particularly new technologically, but it's nicely packaged and keenly priced And most importantly, it's ready to go now. Similarly, Panorama is a video processing technology for applying machine vision to video streams from surveillance cameras. Again, this is for brownfield kit, where the analytics is applied to existing devices without any need to change how they're deployed. Both of these recognise that their respective opportunities are retrofit ones, at least for today. There's also a similar approach to the machine learning proposition, which considers the fact that there are a wide range of entry points for using ML. That ranges from SQL programmers to data scientists to BI analysts to complete novices. Don't make the users come to you, learning Python for instance, but go to them and develop tools they can use. 
The term I've used for this in a recent blog post is this. Don't make your users change, serve them as you find them. The world of technology adopters is incredibly messy. There are skills gaps, embedded systems in every sense of the word, monolithic organisations averse to change, and any number of other barriers to technology options. Some will not be easily overcome. It's good practice to build a set of products, therefore, that reflect the weaknesses in the client base. In his keynote, CEO Andy Jassy talked a lot about the need for constant reinvention, most notably his own organisation. He spoke about things like having the courage to change, creating a culture of urgency, solving real customer problems and setting top-down goals. All very hard to argue with. The pace of change within AWS points to the fact that his own organisation has clearly embraced his principles or is going through a process of doing so in terms of constant reinvention. But most organisations, particularly those that have been around for 100 years rather than just a few years, won't be so easily transformed. Something well illustrated by reInvent was that AWS is a company with a phenomenally rich and expanding product offering. Just this year's additions include AWS IoT Core for LoRaWAN, Greengrass 2.0, SageMaker Clarify, HealthLake, Data Wrangler, Monitron, Panorama SDK, and many more. This is an impressive array of capabilities that will be the envy of any other technology provider. I wrote a blog post recently in which I said that I thought AWS would probably be the single most important vendor in the market where AI, IoT and edge computing intersect. I think every other company's strategy will be defined by AWS, either in terms of competing with it or in terms of their abilities to harness its capabilities. One other noticeable thing about some of the announcements is that they seem to be about positioning AWS as a trustworthy vendor and different from its competitors. If the announcement of long-term support for FreeRTOS was a sly dig at Google's short-termism, so too is HealthLake, Google's equivalent Google Health having been shut down in 2011. The message is, we're in this for the long haul. I've really only given you a simple overview of what I thought of reInvent. If you want to know more, you need to take a look at the report. Contact me for details on how you can get a hold of a copy. Next, I want to talk about an article I wrote for IoT Now the other day relates to diversity in the landscape for IoT connectivity. The connectivity landscape for IoT has changed significantly in the last decade. 2G and 3G networks are on the way out. 5G low-power wide area networks and private networks are on the way in. Things I've spoken about ad nauseum in previous podcast episodes. Similarly, limitations on permanent roaming, demand for supply chain efficiency led to the arrival of eSIM. We see network disaggregation, cloud cores, open RAN promising a new generation of connectivity services, edge computing delivering greater functionality for automation applications, and the arrival of the hyperscalers looming large in the consideration of everyone in IoT. The world has changed. CSPs have also rapidly evolved their strategies, moving to be much more significant participations in the machine-to-machine and then IoT value chains. As highlighted on our recent communication service provider IoT peer benchmarking report, CSP capabilities span devices, device management, connectivity, applications, data management, systems integration, and many other areas. These are diverse players with diverse offerings seeking to address a broad swathe of the IoT opportunity. In light of the breadth of offering, it's perhaps a little surprising that CSPs haven't focused more attention on having as broad as possible an offering in their sweet spot, connectivity. 
there's a diverse range of access technologies being used for connecting IoT devices today. In the last few years, the technology landscape has pushed back the boundaries of what's possible, offering new options in a number of directions. The higher bandwidth connectivity options of 5G and Wi-Fi 6 open up opportunities for video-based applications and autonomous vehicles. A new generation of low-Earth orbit satellites promise to expand the geographical reach of connectivity. But it's the arrival of technology supporting very low-bandwidth applications over wide-area networks that promises the greatest revolution in connectivity. These LPWA technologies like MBIoT, LoRa and Sigfox, by virtue of their lower cost and long battery life, remove the barriers to hundreds of different applications that would previously have been undeliverable or unaffordable, particularly for remote asset monitoring. I probably don't need to go into detail again about the hundreds of millions or billions of devices that we're expecting in this low-power wide area category. Safe to say, it's going to be big. Now, CSPs have a virtual monopoly on cellular technologies, and particularly, specifically, the 5G MMTC LPWA type technologies. There might be a few instances of new entrants or private network deployments for MBIoT, but ostensibly the established communication service providers like Deutsche Telekom, Telefonica, Telia, Verizon and Vodafone own those markets. This contrasts strongly with the non-MMTC license-exempt technologies where very few CSPs have a significant play. Orange has been perhaps the most active, with LoRaWAN networks in France, Romania and Slovakia. Elsewhere in Europe, KPN has deployed a LoRaWAN network in the Netherlands, Bouygues Telecom in France and Proximus in Belgium. Around the world, other existing CSPs that have rolled out LoRa includes SK Telecom in South Korea, NTT and SoftBank both in Japan and Cat Telecom in Thailand. Those are the exceptions though. The license-exempt non-MMTC technologies today are largely deployed as private networks, which account for well over 90% of devices. But over time, that's going to change. Public networks are going to be increasingly important for non-MMTC technologies like LoRa. In total, we expect 750 million devices would be connected using public non-MMTC technologies by 2030. 750 million devices. A significant opportunity, and one that is directly adjacent to the sweetest of sweet spots for CSPs, rolling out and operating public wireless wide area networks. This is inherently a CSP task, but surprisingly few have yet pursued it with regard to non-MMTC technologies, such as LoRa. After all, the biggest barrier to deployment of such networks is having ready access to sites and infrastructure and access to an appropriately trained field support capability, which mobile network operators, communication service providers, certainly do. It's also worth noting that even private network deployments of license-exempt technologies shouldn't necessarily be ruled out for CSPs. As I spoke about in last week's podcast, MPN's a fascinating area for communication service providers. And there will be a lot of private, low-power networks, typically using LoRa. The main argument for CSPs not deploying license-exempt non-MMTC technologies like LoRa as public networks, is that they already have their own equivalent technologies. Both MBIoT and LTEM were, to an extent, developed to counter the competitive threat of Sigfox and later LoRaWAN. But the implication is that all of these technologies have very similar performance characteristics. That is not the case. Just considering three basic parameters of battery life, price and maximum throughput, we can see that they all behave quite differently. LTEM, for instance, certainly can't deliver the 10-year battery life that the other technologies can. Its capabilities will be measured in months rather than years. 
In terms of bandwidth, this can be as low as one kilobyte per day effective rate for Sigfox versus up to 127 kilobits a second for MBIOT. LoRa sits somewhere between the two with a peak speed of 50 kilobits per second. Turning to device costs, MBIOT currently costs around $3 to $5 per chipset, although with prices coming down. LoRa's equivalent price is $1 to $2. With variable performance parameters, it stands to reason that different applications will be more appropriately addressable by different technologies, depending on their bandwidth, range, or power consumption requirements. Similarly, some applications will benefit from the mesh network capabilities of technologies such as DECT2020NR for resiliency. In the wonderful world of IoT, the demands of the various applications diverge significantly and some are best addressed using each of the technologies. Applications with high bandwidth requirements and high power consumption fall clearly to LTE and in future 5G networks. Those with middling requirements are going to be addressable by both existing cellular networks and by newly licensed LPWA networks, LTEM and MBIOT, both of which to an extent will fulfill the role that the old 2G GPRS networks have until now. There's also a range of applications with relatively low bandwidth requirements and low power consumption, which might be addressable by more than one of the LPWA technologies, either licensed or licensed exempt. Smart metering and remote monitoring applications in particular represent a market that could equally well be addressed by license-exempt technologies and potentially more cost-effectively given disparities in unit prices. Such a consideration will, of course, depend on the incremental cost of deploying a new network to address them. CSPs may take the view that they have an appropriate technology for addressing all IoT use cases. That might be true, but MBIOT or LTEM may not be the optimal technology. They may instead find that LoRaWAN, DECT2020NR, or any number of other technologies offer a cheaper or more easily deployed and scaled alternative. Dogmatic aversion to considering non-cellular technologies is certainly not the optimum approach. Communication service providers will be well advised to consider all options for deploying networks. The addition of, for instance, LoRaWAN, would make a certain element of the IoT opportunity more cost-effectively addressable. This must, of course, be measured against the various other costs of supporting that technology, most notably the cost of deploying and maintaining a network. But surely every technology is worth doing at least a cost-benefit analysis for. On a wider note, any CSP which is keen to focus more on being a solution provider for enterprise customers rather than simply a network operator, i.e. the proverbial moving up the stack, will want as wide a portfolio of products as possible. This will include public and private, licensed and license-exempt technologies. One of the things I do every so often for a few magazines is to act as a guest interviewer, talking to some technology experts. Last month for IoT Now, I interviewed Ross Gray, who's the VP product for integrated IoT at Sierra Wireless. He talked a lot, as you'd expect, about how Sierra Wireless is trying to make application deployment as simple as possible, which makes sense in the context of how most IoT adopters need to, as many helping hands as they can get. As Ross said, they just want to focus on their own competency. And this fits pretty neatly in with what I was saying about AWS. Meet them where you find them. He talked about how the simplification takes a lot of different forms, including providing quality assurance, maximizing coverage, increasing security, ensuring end-to-end -end connectivity between the device and the cloud, single SIM giving best quality and coverage, and so on. 
plus how a single point of contact is a very useful thing if things go wrong. Hard to argue with that. But the thing that set me thinking the most was about the concept of a one-stop shop. That's what Sierra claims to be. You can get hardware, connectivity, platform, and so on. Yes, that might drive out complexity, but is it really the best for the customer? The idea of an all-in-one device-to-cloud data delivery system is an appealing one. Some of you might have seen the webinar I did with AWS, SI, and Tally's a few months ago. That introduced a nice hardware, connectivity, and cloud services combo. It also has to be noted that with a lot of moving parts, it's nice to have only one company to go to when things go wrong. And it's doubtless simpler. But I keep coming back to hi-fi separates versus MIDI systems. If you know what you're doing, you buy separates. Or rather, you bought them. It's all a bit 20th century now. Whereas if you don't, you buy an all-in-one MIDI system. Ultimately, the best quality is delivered by separates. But whether or not quality matters to you depends on whether you're listening to Pink Floyd or Baby Shark. There were a whole lot of other interesting conversations with Ross during that interview. Another interesting one was around the discussion around context and application awareness, particularly for connectivity. That might involve adapting connectivity to the location, type of data and so on. It was a pretty far ranging conversation. I recommend you check it out. Just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be obliged if you could leave a review. It's much appreciated. Thank you for tuning in this week. Next week, I'm expecting to unwrap a couple of pieces of interesting news that we've been directly involved with here at Transformer Insights, and I will be able to share more about that then. I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A.